Chapter 56 The Andapuram Incident Centuries ago Mahendra Pallavar ruling a flourishing empire from Kanchi the capital had made arrangements for the epic Mahabharatam to be narrated in every corner of the country In a land where peace and compassion advocated by Jain and Buddhist traditions persevered war fever was an absolute necessity he felt to draw out people from their stupor and ensure that their battle instincts were as well honed as ever bharata mandapams meant specially for the retelling of these epics sprung up at his command the practice had continued almost uninterrupted in tondai mandalam all these years vast numbers of people gathered at night either in these mandapams or open air clearings to listen to their favorite stories Songsters Padinis appeared by the dozens possessed of the unique talent of taking the numerous stories and substories from the Mahabharatam weaving them into appealing songs and verses and relating it to their audience in voices filled with vibrant emotion Arjunan wandering on one of his pilgrimages happening to catch sight of Chitrangi the princess of Manipuri in a garden a little outside the borders of her kingdom they fell in love In due course a most beloved son Aravan was born the scion of a princess from a valiant clan among the hills and Arjunan himself it was no surprise that Aravan turned out to be a phenomenal warrior news of the imminent kurukshetra war reached him he journeyed forthwith to join the pandavas and offer his services it was the custom in those days to choose a young man a great warrior blessed with every gift known to humanity and sacrifice him on the eve of battle to ensure great victory talk naturally came up about this practice before war was about to begin and aravan spoke up here i am sacrifice me that you may be granted the victory you deserve the pandavas possessed none as valorous as he left with no choice they took him at his word and duly gave him up as kalabali the people of tamilagam lost their hearts to this brave young man veera aravan who had offered himself with such goodwill for the sake of his own shrines were built for him alongside the ones erected for draupadi amman festivals were organized and celebrated with great fervor in his honor tonight's tale beside mamallapuram's five chariots detailing his many sterling qualities and valorous deeds seemed to have come to an end long live chakravarti sundara chodar lord of the three worlds loud chants rose cleaving the very air long live the illustrious koppakesari aditya karigalar this was the cue for the audience to disperse the story is over for tonight i see murmured said aditya karigalan malayaman will be back in a matter of moments aravan might be done but what of you and your tale your highness queried parthibendran that's not over not by a long shot is it Malayaman's vigor never ceases to amaze me you know said the crown prince meditatively at his age too and he stays awake until midnight walking all the way to these clearings listening to these stories imagine the will power of that man i see nothing in merely staying alive for years and years parthibendran shrugged this place is fairly littered with doddering old men who can't get to sleep and drag themselves to storytelling sessions to while away their time and you're comparing tirukkovilur miladudiyar with those drooping men who've done very little worth the while in their lives ah uh, the number of battles he's seen 
Dare we even suppose that we'll be alive at his age? And if by some chance luck we were, I highly doubt if we'd be as able. Well, if you must know, Your Highness, it's not exactly difficult to see why those old-timers are striding around fit and able at their age. It isn't. What's the reason, pray? They never lose their hearts to petty little priest's daughters, for one thing. Neither did they sit around mourning about their lost love or weeping at her very memory. And even if they had set their hearts on some woman, well, their methods were swift and efficient. They simply dragged her by her hair, flung her into their antapuram, and that was it. Mission accomplished. Nandini is no ordinary priest's daughter, Bhartiba. There's some mystery surrounding her birth, I think. No, I'm sure. Be that as it may, Your Highness, what does it matter? Who cares if she is the daughter of a priest, a king or no one? What does her parentage matter? Why, take that old fossil, Periyaparvetariya himself. He stumbles upon her on some godforsaken forest path and what does he do? Drag her into his harem, of course, and throw her in, the ninth after eight women. You know, I never could understand that either. You couldn't make sense of why an old man fell for her fatal charms and let himself be reeled into her wily net? No, but but why would a woman who professed her love for me, who then fell in love with Veerapandian and tried to save his life, finally submit to this old man, body and soul? I, I confess I don't understand that. I am afraid I do, all too well. What confounds me, though, is something else. Having confronted that wretched Pandian, eternal foe of our Chora dynasty, a dastardly coward who runs and hides from enemies at every opportunity and yet dares to call himself Veera Pandian, you come across a woman who shelters him, begs for his life, and then you leave her alive? I never could make sense of that. You could and must have done one of two things. Cut her into little pieces that very instant or, if you entertain scruples about killing a woman, truss her up like a fowl and throw her into our dungeons at the very least. But you did neither. Ah, I remember now. You dragged Veera Pandian's corpse out of the hut and flung it outside. We surrounded you raving like maniacs, drunk with triumph. In the midst of it all, I couldn't help hearing someone sobbing from within the hut. Who's that weeping, I asked you. You replied that there were women of the priest's family frightened out of their wits by what they had witnessed. Don't go in, any of you. There's no cause to terrify them further, you commanded. Flushed with victory, none of us were inclined to do so anyway. We made our way back, carrying aloft Veera Pandian's head. You accompanied us as well. But you didn't really participate in the joy and revelry of that moment. You seemed rather drawn and fatigued. I asked you the reason. You brushed away my questions, recalled Parthibindran. I remember wondering if you'd sustained some grievous injury that we knew nothing about. I had, not physically, but in my heart of hearts, an injury that would never heal. I, I couldn't. I couldn't forget the sight of her, falling to her knees, shielding Veera Pandian, begging me to spare his life. Often and often would I anguish over her desperate plea. 
Ayyo, why couldn't I have granted her this wish? If my life could have brought her lover back, then willingly I would have sacrificed it. But it wouldn't. Nothing I did or could ever do would make her happy. And I cursed myself for it. I went mad, knowing that I was the reason for her misery. We pride ourselves so much on our valor, Partiba. We believe ourselves to be equal to anything, able to carry out any task. Nothing is beyond us in this world. We look at the ancient palm leaves that announce kings possess the essence of the great Mahavishnu himself, guardian of the world. They are his representatives in human form and we actually believe it. But can we return a departed soul to its body? Has any member of any royal household ever been able to achieve such a miracle? We have the power to cause death in abundance. But no man has ever had the unique gift of bringing a corpse back to life. And a good thing too, I should say. Imagine the catastrophic results had you actually possessed such a unique gift. You would have brought Veera Pandyan back, he'd have slunk away and buried himself in some other mountain lair. The Pandya war might still be going on for all we know. And all for the sake of a woman's tears, finished Parthibindran dramatically. You are a cynic, Partiba, an unfortunate creature who can't appreciate women. You speak so because you have no idea about love or its power. Too right, Your Highness. I do cherish a wholesome hatred for women and all their works. That's also why I've never gotten myself into any twisted female styles. Now, your beloved friend Vandya Tevan, on the other hand, ha, there's a hot-blooded idiot who needs no prodding to fall in love. All he needs is the barest glimpse of a turmeric-endowed face and he scrambles to do her bidding a stupid leer on his face. That's why you like him so much, isn't it? Back to Vandya Tevanavi. I did wonder if you had forgotten him during our conversation. Ha! Huh, you never did appreciate my attempts to expose his true character. Well, I won't. What happened next? Didn't you ever see Nandini again? Or ask her why a woman who'd pleaded and cajoled for Veera Pandyan's life actually agreed to marry that old fossil, Parve Terrier? Veera Pandyan was finally dead. Once you had celebrated more than half the night away, everyone fell asleep quite heavily. I couldn't. My eyes wouldn't even close. Every nerve in my body quivered with the need to find Nandini again, to explain myself and beg her pardon. But then the next moment, I felt a fury that consumed my very being. All I was conscious of was to vent my terrible anger as well. Whatever the reason, I had to see her. I would know no peace else. I couldn't return to Choranada until I did. At midnight, I rose noiselessly, ensured that none of you saw me leave the Pasarai and rode towards the oasis between Vaigai's banks. My heart thumped within my chest. My body quaked and shivered as though with a fever and my legs trembled as I slipped off my horse. I crept step by little step towards the little Tirumal temple. Every single hut in its vicinity had been torched and reduced to ashes. A man and woman, both old, squatted beside one of them in tears, lamenting their fate. I tiptoed closer and recognition dawned. 
They were the ones who had brought Nandini to the royal gardens in Parayare. The moment they set eyes on me, their grief and terror seemed to mount by leaps and bounds. They couldn't even speak for the few first moments. I soothed and pacified them and then they managed to gather strength and answer my questions. Their first daughter lived, it seemed, across the river. She was pregnant and about to deliver and they had journeyed to see her. Nandini refused to go with them. Knowing her willful ways, her stubborn nature and unaware of how to force her to do their bidding, they left her to her devices and went by themselves. On their way home, they caught sight of a group of ruffians tying up a helpless girl hand and foot, trying to throw her into a funeral pyre. Such atrocities were not uncommon in times of war. Terrified of even catching their eye, they hurried on their way and returned home. Only to find their huts burned down. Nandini was gone. The priest and his wife came to the end of their recital. Great Prince, where is our beloved daughter? they cried, racked with sorrow and worry. What has become of her? I had suspected for some time that they were not her real parents. Now I knew for certain. Had they truly borne her, not for a moment would they have entertained the thought of leaving Nandini all alone. Their distress didn't move me. I couldn't find it in myself to feel sorry for them. Nandini's fate, though, oh, the very thought seemed to cleave my heart in two. Sorrow had me in its fierce, unyielding grip. Find your precious daughter's wretched pyre and throw yourselves onto it, I screamed. Burn and die, you idiots! I cursed them with all my grief-filled heart and returned to camp before dawn. You were all still deeply asleep. None of you had known of either my departure or return. True, we didn't. And then on top of all of that, to keep such a thing to yourself so long, the thought fairly turns my stomach. A fine way of treating your friend, your highness, keeping secrets from him. Not in my wildest dreams could I have suspected you of such, such treachery, Parthibindran scowled. Why, in your place, I certainly wouldn't have even entertained the notion. But you aren't, are you, Parthiba? I don't think anyone could be in the whole wide world. Who knows how you might have acted in my place? What's done is done, Naya. There's no sense in revisiting the past or pointless argument. What happened afterwards? When did you next see Nandini? Was it after she'd become the young queen of Paravur or before? Had I managed to catch sight of her before, she wouldn't have become the Paravur queen. We weren't even around during the wedding. Do you remember our disgust when we heard the news? My Yuvaraja coronation occurred a few days later. My father, grandmother and others of influence didn't want any ambiguity about my succession. Perhaps they suspected that someone might instigate Madhurandagan to ascend the throne? Whatever the reason, I was made not only the heir, but also awarded the Parakesari title. I could now authorize stone inscriptions in my own name. This vast Choranadi is now yours and yours alone by right, announced my beloved father. His heartfelt words were echoed by his ministers, courtiers, commanders and his subjects with full force. Their resounding chants of victory pierced the very skies. Nandini had completely faded from my memory during these times of joy and celebration. But something happened soon after the Pattabhisekam that ensured that she would never, ever leave my heart. The ceremony had just come to an end. An ancient Chora crown now adorned my brow. 
my father escorted me to the andapuram that i may receive the blessings of my mother and my grandmother not to mention the other royal ladies chief minister aniruddhar my younger brother and the paduvetariyar brothers accompanied us as well my sister and her handmaidens stood in a large group mingling with the various royal mothers all of them dazzled in their best ornaments and finest dresses their faces shone their smiles brilliant on this joyous occasion clearly they had been expecting our arrival eagerly but my eyes were riveted onto only one person or rather one face nandini's my heart's dearest whom i thought burnt to embers on a lonely pyre but how had she arrived here in the palace's andapuram how had she managed to deck herself out in such fine garments and jewels a queen among queens eclipsing even those bred in luxury and majesty and the light in her eyes her exquisite features seemed enhanced a thousand times from what i remembered her beauty almost blinded me my heart raced within moments my besotted mind had built several improbable castles in the air was this day the day i had been crowned yuvaraja to the chola empire truly about to become the happiest of my whole life was she who ruled my heart and dreams finally about to be my queen in real life as well my pattamagishi had the gods bent their compassionate gaze on me finally and wrought some sort of miracle indrajalam perhaps or some fabulous magic trick that made all my dreams come true and then my mother vanama devi took a couple of steps forward my child she whispered and embraced me warmly bestowing her blessings that very instant something shocking happened i heard someone scream my father suddenly he crumpled to the floor unconscious the palace erupted in pandemonium the others and i threw ourselves into raising the emperor and bringing him around the royal women except for my mother and sembian madevi promptly disappeared into their quarters my father recovered soon enough i took my little sister apart how had nandini managed to arrive here i asked why she is married periyapalvetariyar revealed kundavai she is the paluvur ilayarani now i sustained a severe shock as though a sharp spear had plunged into my chest many are the injuries i've borne in battle my friend but but nothing can ever equal the blow i received just then nandini the wife of periya paluvetariyar aditya karigalan pressed a hand to his chest clearly his heart ached even now